Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. With us, we are in our final stretch, just two more weeks, today and next week, focusing on the nature and the work of the church. And each week, we've, we've talked about the church being a family. What sort of family is this church going to be? What sort of character is this church family going to have? Last week, I was able to join another church family for worship near Pigeon Forge, and I always get, uh, I always love the opportunity to join different churches when we're on way on vacation. Maybe if you, if you, if you, if, maybe I've told you this, there have been times where I've gone to upwards of two or three churches on one Sunday. You don't get it when you're a pastor, when you're working in the church, you don't get to go to very many churches. And so there have been times where we hit an 8 a.m. service, and then we take our coffee from that one and do an 11 o'clock service at another church for worship. It's a joy to be with other churches on Sundays. And I, I really hope, I want to just encourage you to take the opportunity, when you're away, to worship with other believers. It's so enriching. It's such a joy. I know you can, you can catch up here later on streaming or on our podcast but I have found attending churches when away on vacation to be a great source of, of joy and of growth for me. It, it reminds us that the church is bigger than any one local manifestation. It reminds us of what God's doing throughout Ohio, throughout the country, throughout the world. It reminds us, again, what it's like to walk into a place that we've never been, where we don't know where the bathrooms or the sanctuary or the nursery check-in is, and what it's like to be that sort of person. And that's helpful to us here. That's, that's a lesson that we can bring home because really we have people in that same position here each and every week. They walk in. They don't know all the things that we know. And it helps us be hospitable. It really helps us put ourselves in that person's shoes and help them better. It's really a, a, really a, a benefit. It encourages pastors and other congregations. It does so here. When, when we have family and friends and visitors from out of town, it's a joy to see that those people, those Christians, care enough about the Lord and his word to find a church body and take the time and go. And, and there are times where we've gone to churches where I got to have a talk on the way home. You know what I mean? Like there are some things in the church service. I mean, there, are some t- there have been a, maybe once that we've left, but uh, that I didn't do good enough homework before going. There have been a lot of times where on the way home, the kids will ask questions about, hey, why did they do this? Or what about this? Or, and it really gives us a great opportunity to talk with them about why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe. And so last week, as, as my family and I walked into Connect Church, we were walking into a family setting. A family setting. Certain things stuck out about them to us. That church had an aroma. It had a personality. So do we. And the point of these sermons over the course of the summer that we're wrapping up here today is to encourage and to challenge us to be a church family that looks like our family portrait. That's what we want to look like. We want to look like our family portrait. We want to look like what the Word of God says we should look like. The Bible has a lot to say about the way that our family should look and act and talk and relate to, to God and to each other and to Toledo. And so that's what we want to do. Next week, we're going to, con- we're going to conclude this series by talking about worship. This morning, I'd like to address an area of our church's character that is of vital importance to our own holiness and our relationship with the Lord. It's more than a trait. It's a character quality. 
a character quality of a renewed heart and mind. And it can't be suppressed. It cannot be kept inside. And I've mentioned a couple times this word aroma. We use a word picture like aroma. Um, I want to address today something that should be potent in our lives. Some of you guys have household smells. Do you know that? Some of you guys' houses, when I walk in, you know, scent, the, your, your smell is your strongest sense. It's that thing that years later you can smell the same thing and remember. And, um, and some of your houses have a certain scent that, uh, that, I, that I ascribe to your particular family. I have been told that we have a scent. I can't smell it, but my sister-in-law, Audrey, says we have a scent. And I have gotten the feeling over years of loving and knowing Audrey that the scent is not a good one. <laughs> Something like salty paint or something like that was their best. So we all have a scent. Now, I got to tell you, a number of years ago, I was living in Bowling Green with Aaliyah and Micaiah. Our first house, tiny little house, had a crawl space that you could not get into. There was no access point to the crawl space. There might have been at some point, but there was no longer any that I knew of that you could get into under the main section of the house. And our house had a scent. And you know why? Because I couldn't get into the crawl space but a cat and a skunk did. And I got to tell you, you all smell skunk smells when you're outside. It's totally different when it's inside. It's totally different. It's eyes watering, onion rotting nastiness when you're inside. I, I had that sense, you know, that sense of smell, that remembrance. It happened to me again a few days ago because I was on 24 headed east and I drove over a dead skunk. And that smell re entered my car until I hit Central Avenue. We had a stink. We had an aroma. Now, that analogy obviously breaks down when we're talking about uh, what we want to be. We don't want to be a church with a, with a nasty, bad smell, but we want to have a potent smell. And the thing that I want to think about with us today is, the, is gratitude, is gratitude. And I want to say, oh, well, I've been skipping pages and I didn't even know it. Um, we want to talk about gratitude today. And... Um, to do so, we're going to use uh, Paul's letter of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 through 18 to launch us off here as we study gratitude. So would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? This is the Word of the Lord. Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, every good and perfect gift comes down from your hands. And we thank you for the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, your Son, and for his life and his death and his resurrection. And we thank you that you loved the world so much that you gave your only beloved Son so that we might be saved from our sins. We also thank you for your word, which we look into now. Your word can't be separated from who you are. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And we thank you for your word and giving it to us. Guide my words as I speak. Direct our hearts together in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we begin thinking on gratitude, it's necessary to define 
what gratitude is. Definitions are always important. If you have own a definition, if you control a definition, that's, that's power. The world does this all the time. They take a word and they try and define it in a certain way so that they can leverage it to their own ability. The word of God is truth. Uh, this is what we look to. It's important that we have good definitions of something as we seek to study it. And so what is gratitude? What is gratitude? Gratitude is simply, it's very simple, it's an expression of thanks. Grat- that's all it is. Thanksgiving and gratitude, thankfulness and gratitude, they're, they're very synonymous with each other. It's an expression of thanks. The quality of being thankful in response to someone's blessing or protection or love or even the intention to do something good. You, you know the thought that counts, right? Sometimes we don't actually finish or complete the thing. I've tried to help people with projects and really we, at the end of the day we failed. I wasn't able to help them, but they're still grateful because I tried, right? So even when we don't really come through all the way, it's, it's being thankful for that intentionality. It's a simple concept, but as we see, just because it's simple doesn't mean we don't need to be admonished to it. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's always easy. I remembered this concept, the concept that things that are simple aren't easy yesterday. Uh, it's pretty hot up here right now, but sitting at my kitchen table yesterday, I was even more hot. I was sweating because I bought my daughter this mini Lego set when I was away on a trip in the shape of like a, the Mayflower or something. And this is, off, mind you, off-brand Legos. You think Legos are bad, try taking them down to one-third and making them off-brand. And I am following the directions like the best of our engineers, and I'm not getting this thing together. My thumb can't get in that crevice to get that piece in. I was... It was simple, very simple. I had step-by-step directions. I had my four colors of Lego laid out in different piles. It was very hard to do. Gratitude, very simple concept, very simple to wrap our minds around. Not always easy, not always easy. Two things about this definition that I want us to highlight right at the outset. Right at the outset. First, gratitude can involve uh, a feeling. It is a heart condition. Gratitude is a heart condition, but genuine gratitude can't remain only in the heart. Notice that it is an expression of thanks. Second, it is an expression that has an aim. Gratitude isn't directed into a nebulous ether. It has a person or persons that are the receivers of that gratitude. It has an object. So to recap our definition real quick, and we'll move on, gratitude is an expression of thanks, the quality of being thankful. It is expressed, not just in our minds as an inaudible or unknown thought, but to someone else. It has a name. This morning, I want to make three simple points about gratitude from the Word of God as it relates to my life, as it relates to your life, as it relates to the life of this church. The first is that gratitude is not optional. The second is that gratitude is not theoretical. And the third is that gratitude is good for us. It's a grace that's given to us by God for our good. It enriches our lives. So we're going to walk through those three things uh, as I've just laid them out. First, gratitude isn't optional. Gratitude is one of those themes or character qualities that we really can say we appreciate and we say, oh yeah, sermon on gratitude, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's really, honestly, guys, it's a huge point of emphasis in the scriptures. 
gratitude or a lack of gratitude is there all the way from Genesis to the cross, the garden to the cross. It was there, the lack thereof, when Adam and Eve sinned against God. It was there before that when Satan fell from heaven because he wasn't grateful for the position that God had created him to fulfill, but rather said, I want to be like the Most High. I will ascend. It was right there. It was right there at the beginning. You go all the way to the, to the, to the Last Supper as Jesus is looking down through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing what's to come, having already told Judas, whatever you're going to do, go and do quickly. And right there, at that pivotal moment, what does the scripture tell us? Two little words. It says, Jesus gave thanks with his disciples in the upper room before they broke bread. It actually says, giving thanks. He took the cup and the bread. And that's what we remember every month when we celebrate communion. It's everywhere. The Christian life is to live, uh, the Christian is to live thankful. The ungrateful Christian is an oxymoron. He doesn't exist. She doesn't exist. In our passage, 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is teaching us that God's will is for us that we give thanks in everything. And there are times throughout life where we really have to wrestle with what the will of God is, isn't there? Maybe it's a lot of people here have been buying new homes. And maybe one of those things is, man, do we, does God want us to sell our house right now and move across town? Or does God want us to take this job or to stay here or to keep applying? What, what's God want from me? Or maybe if you're single, it's, does God want me to pursue this relationship further? Or, or maybe it's, do we put our kids in this school system? Or do we put them in this private school over here? Do we homeschool? Do we do school online? What, what would be best? I can remember many times in my life where I have honestly squandered a lot of time, a lot of time, trying to make a decision when I felt like I wasn't totally sure of what God's will was for me. And honestly, we all go through these experiences. They're common to all of us. And in many of these instances, if it's not a directly moral, right and wrong sort of decision, God doesn't give us the luxury of knowing exactly what his will is beforehand. He wants us to make a decision by faith and trust him and, and walk with it and see where he leads. Now, we make our decisions based on the scripture, but you know that it doesn't tell you whether you should move to Sylvania Township or whether you should move to Evergreen in Colossians, does it? No. There are many times in life where God, you, we are directed, our hearts and minds are directed by the Scripture, but he says, make a decision and trust me and do it by faith. And we always want to know his will in advance, but he often doesn't give us this and it's for our good. If this is you this morning, this has been me, and it will be me again, we've got good news from the Scriptures. God has told us His will. This is what it is. God's will for your life is that you live a thankful and a grateful life. And again, yeah, it's like, yeah, 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 I saw that coming, Nathan. We can't afford to do that. Remember, this is like, responding in this way is like Balaam with that donkey. Oh, yeah, 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 okay, I know you told me to stop, but come on, let's keep moving, let's go somewhere, all right? Can't afford to do that. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. This is not my words. This is the Bible. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude is not optional. It is God's will for your life. 
What about all those times where life is hard and there just ain't nothing to be grateful for? What about when we're being sinned against? When we're going through a fiscal trial? When our parents are aging and they no longer go from being self-sufficient, but they now are now in the stage of being cared for and cleaned. What about them? When you can't do all the productive things anymore. At least that's the way you feel. When you lose a job. When you have a spouse that's sinning against you. When we feel trapped in a sin. Does God really expect us to be grateful and thankful in times like this? Well, if you have your Bibles out, Look back up where we started in, in, in Thessalonians, in verse 14 and 15. He says, we urge you, brethren, he's talking to a young church, counseling them on their Christian conduct, that's the, the bigger picture context. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seeks after that which is good. Paul is speaking here, calling the church to a higher standard. That's what he's doing. But think about what he's saying. He's writing to a church very much like ours, and he's acknowledging that for the leaders and for the congregants, there are going to be people that are unruly, that need to be talked with. There are going to be people that are a pain. There are going to be people that are needy, prone to putting themselves down, people that want to give up, people that drag their feet. This is what he's saying. I'm, I'm using some words to sort of illustrate it, but this is, these are Paul's words. There are people that need to be carried, people that are weak. There are also people that, for whatever reason, just seem to get on our nerves. And he says, be patient. Paul knows this. Be patient. This, this right here is the background to which Paul says, in everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. That's the context. Paul isn't living in the fake, deluded world of Christian social media influencers who are trying to hold up idolatrous, cheap imitations of what heaven's going to be like. That's not Paul. He's a messenger of the truth. He's an under-shepherd to the great shepherd. He's very aware of the pain the hardships, the trials that accompany the faithful as they seek the kingdom of God here on earth where we're aliens and strangers. Gratitude and being willing to show gratitude, it's not pretending that everything is okay. Gratitude is not pretending that everything is good in my life. That's not gratitude. Rather, it's acknowledging hard things Yet trusting God's purpose is ultimately good. And not just ultimately good, but honestly, in hindsight, allows us to see this. It's even good in the midst of the hard thing. It's not just like the hard thing, hopefully, someday, but for sure in heaven, will produce something good. No. Even in hardship, God is working to chisel, refine, and really for our blessing. The Father never does anything to, to curse his children. Even the hard things he does is to, to bless Gratitude is not optional. It's God's will for your life at all stages, on your honeymoon, in the hospital room. And so we see that in Paul's life, whether he's in good health and good spirits or whether he's under house arrest and unable to do the really good things for God that he desires to do, like plant more churches and, and visit that church over there and encourage them, no matter what 
what place he's at. He begins his letters almost unilaterally with what? Thanksgiving to God. Praising the name of God for them, for what God has done. And in a number of his letters, how does he end? Or throughout, sometimes they're in the middle. He ends by words of gratitude for those that have helped his cause, helped the gospel, cared for him, given him things when he was in need. He's modeling this for us. Why is Paul grateful? We need to be grateful. Why? Why is this God's will for our lives? Why must we be grateful men and women? Why must this church have the aroma, that scent, wafting through the halls? It's it's because we have been raised up with Christ. It's because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. It's because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's because we were born children of wrath, but we've been made heirs according to the promise. It's because at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, we really have to ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do we believe all those things? And if, it, if we do... How does that affect our gratitude? If you recognize in your heart and in your soul how you are miserable and sinful and incapable, if you recognize the depth of your failure, how immeasurably short you come in across that finish line, and on the other side, you think about how you've experienced the love and the forgiveness and the mercy of God, if you've been granted grace with God to have victory over sin... If you've been promised an, eternal, a, a few, an eternity with God, an inheritance from Him, how could you not have, how could I not have, a heart that pumps to the beat of thanksgiving and praise? And of course, all these things you say, oh yeah, I am grateful for all those things, Nathan. It's just the crappy job I got to work nine, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. And it's just my kids, you know, who don't know how to tie their shoes and are tracking mud on the cross of my floor. Those are all the things. No. The reality is, if we, if this reality of Christ bringing us to himself, washing us, cleansing us, if that is a true reality for us, then that reality changes who we are. It affects every area of our life. That's at the top of the mountain, but it, tra- it rolls downhill. It affects everything everything and all from the great spiritual realities I don't even say it's just spiritual because it's a physical reality too but from those great things having to do with our salvation down to the nitty-gritty every day it affects who it affects our hearts does that make sense you will express gratitude because you are in your being a grateful man or a grateful woman or not why must you be characterized by gratitude well God's worthy of it Beyond that, he tells us to be thankful. How often in the Psalms, many of us memorized last year as a part of our small group study, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is a psalm where the, throughout the psalm we're declaring the praise and, and our thanksgiving to God. It's constant throughout Scripture. And I think that we think because it's simple and it sounds general that it's not necessarily as important as many other things, but it's very important. It's like Alfred Hitchcock. Gratitude's always making an appearance. It's always there. If not in the foreground, the background. 
If we read scripture with this lens, we're going to see the theme of gratitude and its implications for our lives just start popping out all over the place. And I want to say this. Listen, the spiritual cost of us being thankless is much higher than we might think. Thanklessness is not merely the absence of verbalizing a thank you. It is a symptom, and this is why it affects all the great, our gratitude should be there with with salvation in Christ and all the way down the mountain to the dealing with things throughout every day. Thanklessness is not merely an absence of verbalizing thank you. It is a symptom of spiritual dullness and spiritual poverty because it's taking for granted and not appreciating the grace that has been shown to us. A lack of gratitude points to a callus of pride that is built up in our hearts so that we are no longer soft to the reality of God's goodness and his kindness. And yes, there is no greater display of God's goodness and kindness than the cross, but we are recipients of God's goodness and kindness when our kids walk across the rug with muddy shoes. It's an opportunity to maybe show some discipline, maybe to show some mercy, maybe to work on our temper. It's God's goodness and kindness. So first, gratitude isn't optional. Second, gratitude isn't theoretical. This goes back to the definition we laid out at the beginning where we said that gratitude is an expression of thanks. It's an outpouring of a heart that is thankful. And I think that most everyone would agree with me that we need to be grateful and thankful. No one's going to really disagree with me. I'm aware of that, but the devil's in the details, isn't he? So this morning, some of you need to repent of being ungrateful for your spouse. You're not grateful for the man or the woman that God has brought to you. Some of you need to repent for being ungrateful for what God has given to you because you don't like it. It's an affliction. It's a thorn in the side. And there's nothing to be grateful there. Or you need to repent of being ungrateful for what God hasn't given to you. You look at your peers who might make more money or might be given this position. You're discontent. Some might need to repent of being ungrateful for the position God's put you in. At the very beginning of the series, we talked about the language of a body and the fact that this church is a body made up of many members. And it's got head and it's got a baby toe and it's got a esophagus and all sorts of pieces, and they interrelate. They don't all perform the same function. But it's natural to our sinfulness that the toe looks at the head and says, I want to be like that. Why didn't God make me this? Will the vessel say to the potter, why have you shaped me this way? Yes, we do, and we shouldn't, and it's wrong. Some of us are living with a notion that God has burdened us with more than he's called others to, to bear. We look out and we are struggling with something that we think we're unique in. And we're ungrateful to God because we think, he's put this on me. What about all these other people? We're living in discontent. For some of you, you need to get over yourself, over your pride, your entitlement. That's the word that came to my mind when I was thinking about this. Thinking that all the good things that God has done for you, all the good things that others have done for you is merely what you deserve. Entitlement is horrible and it's everywhere. I think about our business owners here And how many of them are having a hard time functioning because of how prevalent and pervasive entitlement culture is today. And if your life has been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, you are well aware of what you're entitled to. I hope you are. You want to talk about what you're entitled to? Well, you're entitled to separation from God. His wrath is curse. 
all the miseries of this life to death and the pains of hell forever. That's Genesis 2, Genesis 3 rather, Ephesians 2, and Romans chapter 6. That's what you're entitled to. And so as you think about that reality and what you really are entitled to, don't you see why your life should radiate gratitude and thanksgiving? That's what you're entitled to, but this is what you're getting. Doesn't it make sense? We often say that faith isn't merely a mental construct that's disconnected from the reality of your life. That when you come to faith in Jesus, he gives you, yes, a new heart, and yes, he renews your mind, but it doesn't stop there. A new heart, a new mind lead to a life that acts and speaks and listens and thinks differently. Jesus doesn't just give you a new spiritual identity. He's given us a new life, a new life. A new family, a church, new patterns, new loves, new aspirations, new habits. And it's the same way with our gratitude. A grateful, thankful person, a grateful, thankful church is going to express gratitude. Genuine gratitude is never confined only to the heart or to the mind. I do say it begins there. It has to be the reality of your heart, but it has to be expressed. It's not telepathically communicated. Some might say that they're thankful in their heart, and they don't need to verbalize it. Of course, maybe they're saying this about God. We can be thankful to God. And, but that, I would say that they haven't read the Bible. Because if they've read the Bible, what do they see? They see that it is stuffed full of commands to praise and thank God with our voices. You understand that? God doesn't just say, think pleasant things about me. He says, Praise me with loud cymbals. Praise me with your voices. Shout. When Gideon ran down on, on the enemy, they weren't humming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's none of that. It's, ah, you know, to praise, it's, it's, they're doing a couple things there. They're freaking out the enemy. But they're also giving praise to God that he's given them the victory. God wants us to praise him with our heart, but also with our voices. He calls us to be grateful to other people, not just in our minds, but to write a thank you letter, to go up and give them a hug and tell them, I appreciate you and why. That happens so rarely today. In Luke 17, we're told this. When Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was in between uh, some Samaritans and Galileans, and he entered a village, and there were 10 lepers there. And they stood a ways off from him that he didn't want to get too close. They raised their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he saw them and he said, I want you to go and I want you to show yourself to the priest and you will be made well. Now, we're told that one of them, as he went, he saw in his body, leprosy is a visible disease on your skin, he saw that as his feet were walking toward the priest that his skin was healed. And we're told this, When he saw he had been healed, he turned, glorifying God in his mind. And then he finished out his route and was healed. No. He turned, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found to return to give glory to God except for this foreigner? Except for this Samaritan? None of the Galileans did this? Only this Samaritan? He said to him, stand up, go. Your faith has made you well. The reality is, of course, 
The other nine guys that didn't turn back would have said that they were grateful, wouldn't have they? They would, if you ask them, they'd say, oh yeah, man, I'm so thankful that I am rid of this disease that's plagued me and been a stigma in my life for who knows how long. And yet the whole point of Jesus and Jesus' words is the fact that they weren't grateful. Where, there were ton of you, but there's, there's only one here. What, what happened to the other nine? Well, they're thankful that it's just a warm, fuzzy feeling in their mind. No, his point is that they weren't thankful. Of course, this is true in our relationship with the Lord. It's true in our relationship with other people. There should always be um, consistency between the two great commands, to love our God, to love our neighbor. Jesus says that if you love him while despising your brother, you're a what? You're, you're lying. You're a liar. So we could say that if we pour forth thanksgiving to God, but we aren't living a life of gratitude toward those around us, we're also liars. Gratitude is not optional. Gratitude is not theoretical. It's not just some theological gobbledygook that remains in your mind. It is spoken. It's declared. It's written on a postcard. It is expressed. Finally, gratitude is good for us. Gratitude is good for us in a variety of ways. And I just want to, we've got about five minutes left, I just want to highlight a few of the ways in which gratitude is a grace from God for us. The ability to be grateful is a grace of God in our lives. Gratitude enriches our lives and the lives of those around us. Again, the church is a family. I want you to picture with me two different homes in the same street. In one home, you've got kids that are binge-watching Netflix, yelling for their mother to bring them more Kool-Aid and Cheetos, and when their mother says it's time to turn off Scooby-Doo and go out and start raking the yard, they complain. A couple hours later, father, dad walks into the house, and when he realizes that his wife has made that casserole that is fairly easy to make, but he despises, again, he goes, <sighs> just loud enough for her to hear it and get the message. That night when mom lays down in bed, she passes a sleepless hour by scrolling through pictures of other people's families that seem to be much more put together and enjoyable than her own, and she wonders why she can't catch a break. And then they wake up the next morning having gone to sleep like that. In another home, you've got children that may be watching Netflix, but when they want to get something, they get off their rear and go find their mom and ask, and she says yes or no, and they say okay or thank you. And when you, your dad gets home, he might smell that casserole that he really doesn't like. And there are dishes that my wife doesn't like, just like you. But he doesn't care. He says thank you because he knows she's been working all day caring for the home and she's made a meal. And it, guys, if you have ever baked for your wife, you realize, man, how much work goes into that. I make my wife, uh, it's, it's incredible. So gratitude. <laughs> thank you for the food. Thank you for feeding me. And he says thank you to his wife. And that night, Mom goes to bed, appreciated and loved. It's been verbalized to her. Whether it's in our own homes or in the church, the reality is that gratitude grows. If a father is grateful and he models that to his children, children are going to be grateful. Proverbs 31 says that the children of that kind of woman praise her in the gates, right? They declare her praises. Fathers, I hope that you have the habit, if you have children, of calling on them to give thanks to their mother. Yes, thanks to God, but what do the kids praise their mother for? It's such a good thing, and it does such a wonderful thing in your home, and it builds up your wife, and it models for your children the sort of character that God wants you to have as a father. It just, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Gratitude grows. 
when we set the expectation of showing appreciation and stating our gratitude to God, stating that gratitude toward each other, it's contagious. And it makes for a happy, pleasant home. That second home, a lot happier to live in than the first, even though a lot of the things are the same. There's another thing that can grow, though, too, and that's griping. Gratitude grows, griping can grow, too. It leads to unhappiness. We have a good picture of that in the Old Testament with Israel wandering around in the wilderness. God had brought them deliverance and salvation. They weren't satisfied. Instead, some of them started griping. Instead of being grateful for what God had done, some started griping. That griping and complaining just spread and spread. And soon, it's Moses and Aaron and Miriam and then the people and they're just griping against God and griping against their leaders, and it's just everyone. It's not like there were four tribes that were thankful and, and the others were not. Everyone's griping and complaining. A lack of gratitude spread like wildfire, and they, and they really lived a life that was miserable. It wasn't happy. Remember, we're talking about how gratitude is good for us. They all died in the wilderness for their sins, for their discontent. We all want to be part of that second home, that second family that showed gratitude, don't we? That's the aroma that I'm I've been talking about. We talked about it at the beginning. We can tell the difference between families that are grateful and families that gripe. You can do that, can't you? You can look out and you can see different families and you can tell the ones where at home life is, they're happy and pleasant and thankful for each other and, and the homes where nothing is good enough, where the kids gripe and complain, where the mother feels run over, where the father's ungrateful. It's just a negative experience. We don't want that. We don't want that in our individual homes. We don't want that as a church. That's not what God wants either. He calls us to something greater, and what he calls us to is gratitude. Another reason that gratitude is good for us is it allows us to see God's will for our lives more clearly. In other words, if we can't give thanks in all circumstances, which is what we're called to do, God's will for our life in many cases is going to be veiled. What do I mean by that? Well, Back to the illustration about Israel in the Old Testament. They had just been set free from, remember, 400 years under slavery in Egypt. And you would think that they would be overflowing with, with gratitude, that they would be jumping in the air and giving each other chest bumps and praise to God that they are no longer uh, on that side of the, the, the sea and they are set free. You'd think that they'd be overflowing with gratitude, but they weren't. Their feet quickly tired from walking in the sand, and they started to get thirsty. And all of a sudden, what on earth was God up to? Does he not care about us at all? Have you brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness? We'd be better with our scraps in Egypt. We don't have meat. We don't even have bread. That was their attitude. Though he was leading them, he was leading them by the hand through the staff of Moses. They couldn't perceive it. They saw it as a lack. God's will for them was veiled. They, they wouldn't have it. This is Romans 1. Think about what Romans 1 says. It says that even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Futile in speculations. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They couldn't see. There's a direct connection here between giving thanks and the ability of knowing God's will, to see his plan unfold. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Start with being grateful to him. 
So many of you know, I'm grateful to all of you. Um, Aaliyah and our whole family is grateful to all of you for your prayers. Last week we were in Pigeon Forge. We were taking a hike. We were about just shy of three miles in, two and a half, three miles in to a hike. And it was off a, a long scenic drive and there was no cell reception. Our daughter ended up falling off a bridge and breaking her head open. In the moment, it's very traumatic. Um, we didn't, we didn't expect. We certainly didn't expect it. Um, and it was for somebody like me or my wife, who isn't working in the hospital. I think most injuries that involve skin breaking open multiple inches is traumatic, and you're without cell signal and and. There's no one around. I, we didn't have any first aid, and so I'm taking off my shirt and bandaging her, trying to keep, stop the blood. And then we had been almost ready to sit down and eat a picnic lunch, and we hadn't really broken out any of our water for those miles hiking in. I told the kids, hey, once we arrive, we're going to eat. And so we we're all kind of hungry and tired. And then this happens, and you have to run two and a half miles sort of uphill out. And as that sort of crazy situation happened, when I was running back, Leah was with some of the other kids and, and carrying Noah. As I was carrying Lucia and trying to run and get help or get cell service and call an ambulance, I was thinking about why this would happen, as any father would. First, I was thinking, am I going to be able to run the rest of this way? You know, a good father has to run the whole way. You know? <laughs> and second, I'm worried about her. But third, I'm thinking, why would God allow this to happen? Why would he allow it to happen? And I don't know the reason why God allowed that to happen. But I do know a few reasons why he allowed it to happen. It allowed, he allowed that to happen because on the way out, I had had an opportunity to talk with one of my sons about complaining and being ungrateful and how in life you don't recognize how good God's goodness is to you. You don't recognize that all throughout life he's protecting you from so many things that could go horrifically wrong. Many of you probably realize there are times in your life where you nearly avoided an accident, or just avoided an accident, right? And there's that, oh, praise the Lord, right? But it's, it's all throughout life in ways that we will never know. He's caring for and providing for us. And I'd had that conversation with him on the hike as we hiked out and on the way back I thought well that's one reason he can see that God is always protecting us from things like that we passed four bridges and we didn't have other kids fall off on our way out that was one reason he he had that happen because um to to, perf to help Lucia fight vanity uh, he had it happen to give us the opportunity to witness faith and trust in God and his protection to non-Christian relatives that we were vacationing with he had it happen to stretch Aaliyah in my faith. And probably many more reasons as well. These things happen. They're fairly normal in the course of a family life situation. I don't hope they happen to you, but many of us will endure things like this. And if I gave in to anger and resentment toward God for letting that thing happen, I would be blind to all of the good things that a bad situation produced. You understand that? If you're angry at God, if your foolish heart is darkened, you aren't going to see all the wonderful things that God might use a terrible situation to, to bring about. So the final reason I want to say as we wrap up is gratitude is good for us because being grateful proactively helps us um, fight down our own internal sinful desires and it protects us from Satan. 
I've recently been reading through George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin to my family. And in that story, if you haven't read it, there are two kingdoms. You have the, the kingdom of man, and then you have the kingdom of the goblins. These two kingdoms. Uh, most of the time, the goblins stay to themselves in their own kingdom in the heart of the earth, in the heart of the mountain. But whenever they come out, what happens? Well, people are terrified of them. They run, and they think these goblins are horrible creatures. They're terrified of the goblins. Most people run away. Most people run away. One of the characters in The Princess and the Goblin is a young minor boy named Curdy. He works with his dad in the mines. And Curdy isn't at all afraid of the goblins because he knows that they have a secret. What's the secret? Well, the secret is that they cannot stand rhyming songs. For as horrible and ugly and mean as those goblins are, for as frightening as they are, if you start singing a rhyming song, they just start screaming and stuffing their stubby little stubs into their ears and running back into the heart of the mountain. Curdy knows this, and so as he's working in the mines, he makes sure that he's always making up rhyming songs to keep the goblins from messing with him. And I just say this because I, I want to say gratitude, like Curdy's song, keeps the monsters of our desires at bay from attacking us. Being proactively grateful keeps our desires from just enveloping our hearts. Having a thankful heart is a great defense against Satan's temptation. Our, our, desires, our desires can be the harshest of masters. And if you know your sinfulness, you know, you know that reality. Thanksgiving keeps our desires in check and it keeps Satan from having an opportunity. Gratitude is good for us. So I just want to ask as we close, are you grateful? We all want to say, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Are you grateful? Who was the last person you expressed gratitude toward? When was the last time that you spent a time in prayer with God and it consisted mainly of thanking him, not asking him? I hope that this is the kind of family that we are. I hope that we are, are potent with an aroma of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's a grace of God and it's for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word and how it changes us. And I pray that this morning, each of our hearts would see areas of our failure and areas of your goodness, your grace, that we, touches us and allows us to overcome the areas where we are by nature weak and sinful. We need your help, but we thank you that you have helped us in your son. We thank you that you've given us your word, which is a light to our feet that illuminates our path. We pray that you'd be glorified, and we pray that we would be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.